you have to have innovative positions and you have to bring in a new way of thinking that complements the decision-making and focusing on economic value. That's Alitza Sparling on her innovative role as Novant Health Vice President, Senior Healthcare Economist. And you're listening to Industry Insights, a healthcare podcast presented by Novant Health. I'm Gina DiPietro, your host, here with part two of our series on healthcare economics. Often used by government agencies, tech companies like Google and Amazon, and in academia. There's now a growing demand for healthcare data scientists, as you heard in part one. A deeper dive in this episode on using incentives to modify people's behavior and the role of health economics as organizations navigate a large-scale crisis like a pandemic. Here again is Alitza, who begins with more on her health disparities research. I really like the focus on health equity and the social impact that I see in the health industry right now. When we think about costs and when we think about effectiveness, you cannot be thinking about the whole patient population as being one big homogenous group. We have patients with different constraints and with different backgrounds, and it's a very diverse, heterogeneous group. And when we make improvements, we need to be paying attention who is benefiting and who is being left behind. So look at how the new drug or how the new implant or how the new service is going to affect not only cost and effectiveness, but also equity. In other words, what is their effect separately on vulnerable populations, whether we define them by race, ethnicity, or by socioeconomic status or some kind of combination versus the majority. When those gaps or disparities are found, you said that it's led by the clinician as far as figuring out how to solve that, but are you part of the solution as well? And if so, how do you play a part in helping to close that gap? Yes, definitely. We are providers of healthcare, so any solutions are going to involve providing healthcare. So they are led by clinicians and their input is invaluable. But health services scientists and social science studies disparities and studies health equity issues as well. So their contribution is also very important, as is the contribution of data people. So you have to collaborate on these interventions. Gina here with a quick recap from part one, and there's still time to hit that pause button and listen to our first discussion. So PhD economists are trained in econometrics, a combination of math, statistics, and economic theory. It transforms data and theoretical concepts into useful tools for decision-making. Think of her as an internal economic consultant, a link between the data and people who can influence change. Now back to Elitza, who was explaining how data analysis can be used to improve health equity. These interventions are usually either some kind of outreach to patients, helping break down barriers for patients to receiving care, helping providers provide better care and maybe be aware of disparities. You need to do data analysis to really understand what are the barriers for vulnerable populations. Maybe it is the fact that they don't have transportation to get to the care. Maybe it's the fact your office closes too early and they have to work and they are not able to go somewhere after 5 p.m. You need to know exactly what's driving the decision-making. And if you want to change their decision-making, then you have to create an intervention that is focused and enables the patient to change that behavior. Every time you do an intervention like that, immediately think about how are you going to be measuring the impact of that intervention? Do you have good metrics? 
will you know whether it's working or not? And so incorporate it in it because before you spend too many resources on anything, you should know if it's working. People respond to incentives and you mentioned a few that have worked. Does anything else come to mind? Yes, it's interesting. So we talked about patients. So let's talk about providers a little bit. So for providers, when you think about incentives, the first one that comes to mind, of course, is the economic incentives, payment to physicians or to nurses for something that you want them to do and focus on. But then you can have also these non-monetary incentives, the behavioral nudges that work. And that could be, for example, peer comparison. You can just tell people, this is what you're doing, this is what other people are doing. And that also works very well, evidence shows. Education always works. People sometimes don't know what's right. So having evidence-based care and educating people, having proper way how to disseminate information. And the last thing, which is what we call the clinical decision support, with the help of computers, you can also give incentives to providers to do certain things over other things just simply by how and what do you position on their screens. If you don't want them to do something, make it difficult to do it. Let's say it takes three clicks to do one thing versus something that you want to do them. You can actually position on top of pull down menu and then they're more likely to do that. So these are the behavioral nudges that are kind of helping with incentives and getting us to modify provider behavior. I'm also curious, what's the impact of a position like a health economist for organizations as they navigate a large-scale crisis like the pandemic? What does that look like and what's the value both directly and indirectly? The effect of the pandemic on the healthcare system or on a hospital system or a provider or patient is definitely a question that economists can address and they can have contribution thinking through all the effects and help leaders. So for example, with pandemic, the questions you can be asking is what is happening to the population size? If the population size is contracting, then on the macro level, you can expect aggregate demand to fall. You can expect also the labor supply to fall. People are getting sick then you can be expecting an increase in demand for medical care. Then you can be asking demand for what type of medical care. Like with COVID-19, we have seen increasing demand for ED and for ICUs. You can be asking questions about the labor force. Do we have enough labor force to actually supply the care? Is the labor force itself changing? And for example, one of the things we have seen is that there has been an increase of traveling nurses, which partially have been needed because we needed more labor force in ICUs and ED units. But maybe partially what is happening is that maybe nurses are changing from being in their traditional roles to the roles of traveling nurses because maybe the financial incentives are there to make the switch. If there is a change in the labor force, how the services are provided, how does that change the product itself that is produced? that's going to have effect both on quality and cost and on patients' well-being. What other companies or industries or types of organizations are employing health economists or alternatively have not yet gone there but probably should? First of all, health economics has been around for a long time, but traditionally health economists have been employed in academia, in government agencies like Medicare, Congressional Budget Office has health economists who are very important. You also have health economists that have been hired in health insurance companies. They have not been that prevalent in health systems like Novant Health, but I can foresee that changing. And I see that there is a lot of work 
for health economies within health systems. Each health system can tailor the role of the health economies to what is important for them and where they have gaps. I can see that some health economies might be focused only on economic evaluation, especially if their background is in pharmacoeconomics, because it's almost like it's a specialization without health economics. Or you can also see maybe some large health systems have also specializations that are focused only on behavioral economics, creating these new programs and incentives and figuring what proper ways to evaluate where you are employing theoretical knowledge from behavioral economics about behavioral nudges. Or you can have economies who are more generalist that can be basically brought in to help with brainstorming and questions, doing this kind of internal consulting, and also oversee and help with more sophisticated data analysis, like how are these different variables and things related to each other. And that kind of requires more sophisticated techniques. And that can be done through statistics, it can be done through AI and ML, and depending on the question, you choose which method is correct. And you see this done a lot outside of the health industry. There has been a lot of hiring of economists, for example, by Google or by Amazon, where they are conducting some really rigorous statistical analysis to really understand the population of their consumers. Novant Health CEO Carl Armado and Dr. Eric Eskioglu, they saw the value in hiring you as a senior health economist. But what would you say to a decision maker at a company who's been fighting to get a position like yours created, but hasn't yet been successful? I would say, of course, go for it. I am very fortunate and I'm very grateful to have this position. And I think it is an important position in this world of constant change. You have to have innovative positions and you have to bring in a new way of thinking that complements the decision-making. And Novant is being innovative by hiring an economist and focusing on economic value. You're just getting started at Novant Health. What are you most excited about as you sort of dig into this work? The flexibility of this position, how innovative it is and how we are targeting things that I really think are the most important ones to target with health economics, which is exactly this mitigation of unwarranted clinical variation, health equity and social impact, giving incentives to provide value. And I am involved in all of this and I get to work across the whole organization with leaders and clinicians and it's work that is ultimately important for patients and is going to improve the way we provide care and we will provide it at a lower cost, which is ultimately also good for the patient's access to care. I know you've worked in academia. Is there anything that's surprised you so far about being in this healthcare space? When you work with students and you see stars in their eyes and they're like very happy and excited and curious and want to learn, I see the same thing with people who are my age peers, who are leaders, who are doctors. Natural intellectual curiosity and wanting to make the world a better place and wanting to learn and do new things is everywhere regardless of age and positions. And that is very encouraging. It's a wonderful thing to see. Thank you for listening to this episode of Industry Insights. Find others like how AI is improving health outcomes 
on the Industry Insights channel of the Novant Health Podcast family. Listen on Apple, Google, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Gina DiPietro, and hope to see you back here real soon.